everybody for dropping into another episode on the Now of Work. I'm Jess Von Bank. I know that you know I run marketing at LeapGen, but what you might not know is that I consider myself this human experience mobilizer for the world of work. Lorna, thank you for being here. Lorna Bornstein is the CEO of Grokker. She has so many stories to tell us and so much passion for the work that she does. Lorna, would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. And thanks for having me today, Jess. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm Lorna Bornstein. I'm the founder and CEO of Grokker, which is the on-demand well-being engagement solution for global enterprises. So, you know, we basically sell Grokker as a holistic well-being. It's very video-based solution to large companies, you know, clients like Delta Airlines and uh, Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group, Target, uh, Domino's, you name it. If you have a large, stressed-out, diverse group of employees, we are likely to be working with you. Lorna, you just hit the nail on the head. If you have a large group of stressed out employees, I mean, I might say define large, but we don't have to define stressed out. Everybody is stressed. Holy smokes. Everybody is completely overwhelmed by the job of being a human these days. Well, and the thing that's amazing, um, Jess, you're aware of this, but um, your listeners may not be, uh, we came out with our annual state of stress report recently. And we, because we have such a large large base of um, diverse clients, we have, you know, it's a very representative set. This was a US-centric research study that we did just on stress. And what was amazing is, and it's sad, but it's true, that a full 76% of workers currently claim to be stressed. Mm. And of that, nearly half of them describe their stress levels as moderate or higher. So folks have never been more stressed. And just one of the things that I found surprising was that when you look at who's the most stressed, if you look at it like as many vectors you can, but if you look at it by age, the younger the worker, the higher the stress. Wow, that's an amazing statistic. I'm not surprised that people are stressed. And I want to talk more about why that's such a problem, what stress does to us and how it affects every area of our life and why it's really important that we stop down on on this topic, this topic right now. But the fact that it's hitting younger folks, why do you think that is? Do you have any theories? I have a theory, and actually it's pretty linear. If you look at like 18 to 29-year-olds report 84% stress, and it goes down to, you know, 30 to 44-year-olds, 76, and like all the way down to if you're over 60, only 67. And I think it's because the more life experience you have, I think the more capable you are of dealing with stress. Yeah, I, I was I was going to suggest the exact same thing. My 42-year-old single mom uh, who's been homeschooling her kids for 10 months <laughs> immediately goes to the fact that you kind of just have to power through and you learn how to power through and you don't have the luxury of excuses and you just keep going because you have to, because you have no other choice. I think that's when you, when you add factors, you add ingredients, you add, 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 add. Um, the benefit of years, the benefit of experience, I guess, is that you, you've sort of figured out that this is something you need to power through. But when you're younger and experiencing something for the very first time, you haven't, you haven't flexed 
some muscles yet. You haven't built some muscles yet that only experience can bring. One of them is resilience. One is agility. One is just coping skills, just general life, good, healthy coping and self-care skills. Um, and, but, but we have to build them now. We definitely have to build them now. Oh, totally. And the other thing that's interesting about that age um, you know, the implication that you and I, I think we were both very much in agreement, is that the other thing about this younger generation, you talk about Gen Zers and maybe younger millennials, is that they were raised so differently from Gen Xers and boomers in terms of the expectation of their ability to like cope and perfectionism. And there's just, it's such a different mindset. So you get a young worker who all of a sudden is remote for the first time and disconnected and doesn't necessarily have good coping mechanisms, that is going to stress them out majorly. They just, it's, mm -hmm. it's beyond, I'm taking your resilience point, but even thing beyond that, they don't even necessarily have the scaffolding, right? The support networks built yet to help them when something like the pandemic hits. You know, we're talking about a demographic, Lorna, and I love that we are. And I just self-identified a whole bunch of other demographics that apply to me. And that was intentional, by the way. I think <laughs> that when we talk about whole person care, which is what we're talking about, when we talk about employee well-being, when we talk about the health of your workforce, and you can define that so many different ways, you need to recognize when I say whole person care, I need us to see the whole person in order to address the whole person. And we're talking about generations of the workforce. I identified my own gender and the fact that I'm raising children. I could identify other demographics that add to my circumstances. But I think that's a really important consideration. We did not prep for this, Lorna, so I'm going to take you down a rabbit hole right now. When you're talking <laughs> about whole it. person care... Is it not the most respectful and inclusive thing you can do to actually see the whole person, which might mean identifying some of the factors that add to their experience, really meet people where they're at by understanding why, you know, what category they fit into. And we don't have to assign categories, but what, what are the circumstances that put this person in this particular place and how can I help them where they're at? I love that you broke down statistics by using some of these demographics, but how, how, do, you, how, would you, how do you think about that? Well, I mean, and I hear you talk about this a lot, right? We talk about the future of work or the now of work. What mm -hmm. I see as the future for leading employers, it's all about empathy, right? Yes. That is Absolutely. I mean, employees today desperately need to feel that their employers care about them. And mm -hmm. so as an employer, you have to make sure that that is the message it's getting across. And so uh, I think if you want to create a sustainable differentiator as an employer of choice, you have to see people for who they are. Because the old bargain that used to exist, you know, you take about our parents' generation. The bargain then was, I'm going to come work for you for the next 40 years. And here's the deal. You're going to pay me a fair wage. It's going to let me live a very nice, hopefully middle-class lifestyle. And I am never going to bring my problems to work. I'm going to keep those in check at home. Mm -hmm. and, and now you leapfrog forward. We're in the 2020s. And actually, less than half of today's employees are ever going to reach the financial success that their parents did. So paying me a decent wage is not enough 
You have to do more for me. You have to see me and help me with all these other struggles I'm having in my whole life if you want me to stick around, because if not, I will vote with my feet every 24 months and find someone down the road who will care about me. That is such an important statement to make. And when we talk about generations of the workforce and what you just described, I need to know and feel and understand and believe that you care for me, that is not an entitlement thing. It is not a sense of entitlement to say, I need to feel truly feel and believe that you care about me. That's not an entitlement thing. That's not a millennial thing to say. That's, that is a human thing. Yes. That, is a, that is, we are dignifying a human being by saying, I see you. I fully recognize you. I'm going to meet you where you are and show you care there as the whole person and everything that that means the demographics that, uh, that, that apply to you, how you feel, what you want, how you want to evolve as a human being and, and as a professional in the workforce, that is a sign of respect. And that's a show of care that I think we, you know, we, we, we think that it's like the touchy feely soft stuff of culture and experience. It's not, it, this is no. about, this is business. It's in your yeah, best well, interest to do this. Is, and so what I, what I have coined, and I write about this in my book, um, is I call this the human connection movement. Mm. And what we are seeing in the workforce is a human connection movement where employees' needs have changed. And in very practical ways as employers, we have to change how we're managing workforce culture and, of course, the benefits that we offer. But really, the culture needs to change. Our relationships need to change. Because what the employees are saying is, I need human connection from you. Those are table stakes now. Used to be sort of a nice to have, and you had leading edge companies that were really there early. Um, But now, if you're not there, you are not going to be able to deliver results to your bottom line because of the cost of both the productivity, but the replacement value and the time of churning people. Absolutely. I mean, we say it all the time and, and I don't think we have to convince any, anyone anymore. It's more about how do we make that happen, but you simply cannot, unhappy employees cannot create happy customers. It just, it's, they're mutually exclusive. Uh, and so you can't have a stressed out, dissatisfied, burned out, disengaged workforce and expect your customers to flock to your product, your service, your brand, and be blissfully happy and come back for more. <laughs> like it, yeah. like that, that's some secret magic that just doesn't exist. Yeah. I have, and, yeah. and so you've got to start at the source, uh, not only yeah. because it's humane and it's loving and it's the caring thing to do, but because it's the right order in which to do it. You have to address well, people and support You know, them. there's, a, a, there's a, a great phrase. I don't know who originally coined it, right? But you can do well by doing good. Mm. Um, and I think this is an example where, you know, we talk a lot about the cost, the cost. Well, what about the cost of not caring, right? Employers are in a bind. Their organizations are going to absolutely like crumble if they can't figure out <laughs> that they're going to be paying dearly in terms of business results that will not be achieved if they don't care. And the thing that is, you know, it's interesting beyond just you mentioned Respecta a few minutes ago. The thing that I definitely see a ton of is employees want to experience three key things at work. They want a sense of purpose. They want a sense of belonging. 
and they want a sense of balance, right? Mm -hmm. So the work I do is meaningful, but the company does mean something. Secondly, belonging. My tribe is here. I feel like I can show up authentically and I am a welcome, right? I'm a member of this. And the last is I need a sense of a balance. If you're not going to let me manage my life, I'm, I'm not going to stay here with you. That is so powerful. So powerful. And around the sense of belonging, we put belonging in the same acronym with diversity, inclusion, and equity, which is, which is appropriate. It belongs in the same and, you know, sort of finish the sentence and a sense of belonging. You can create a culture of belonging, a sense of belonging in an environment that is beautifully diverse. The, the two, you know, inclusive and diverse, they, they do go together, but how do you do that? Isn't it about creating an environment uh, where people feel accepted, where they feel permission to fully show up? Uh, as their whole, you know, as their whole yeah. self, what does that look like to you in practice? I mean, the, 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 the most important thing to, you know, be aware of as a sort of an organizing principle is that if you have leadership that themselves show up authentically, then everybody else gets permission. If you have leadership that shows that they are trying to balance their lives, then other people will actually think it's okay and have permission to care mm-hmm. about the rest of their lives. It all begins with what is leadership doing? You know, you like to believe that everything at companies can happen bottoms up. Well, I'm sorry, that's a myth. Culture happens top down. And so, you know, a fish stinks from the head down, as my grandmother used to mm-hmm. say. Um, so we need for leadership to care about the whole person and to want to let you show up as you are. So, you know, very personal example for me, about six years ago, my mother, who's, who's well now, she actually got her first COVID vaccination today. Oh, um, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. She uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And I went through that, you know, and I had to go move her, um, you know, from her home, take her for the surgery, move her into my house. She was here throughout her chemo um, and her radiation treatment. And that was a major, like, imagine it's your mom, right? So a lot of CEOs would be stoic about it and maybe not even really talk about it. And instead, I shared with the company, this is what's going on with my mother. I'm not going to be as checked in as you normally expect me to be. I'm going through a hard time. And sometimes if my phone rings in a meeting, I'm going to have to step outside and get it because it might be the oncologist or my mom who needs something. And so just being really human about it. And being vulnerable and not having to have my armor on all day long gives the culture at my company the permission to just be real. And there are such dividends that you can then have paid back as a result of that. So when you say, like, well, Lorna, you know, what do you need to do? The first thing you need to do, leadership needs to understand they actually set the example. And that if they do, others will follow. And if they don't, good luck. It's never going to happen. I resonate with so much that you just said. I, w- I want to ask you a personal question. I want to know, I call it the founder's story or sort of like your personal inspiration, but I, ha- I have found, I, I, there's no research here. I, ha- I just have this feeling that when someone is super passionate about something and it becomes the torch they carry and the thing that they'll step up on the soapbox about, it's usually because you've experienced 
you've seen the absence of it. You've experienced the absence of it. You've witnessed what it looks like without that thing. I mean, I'm super passionate about raising girls. That's my, my personal mission and mantra. I happen to be raising three of them myself. I could not be mm-hmm. more passionate. If I had to do a TED talk in five minutes, I would just get on stage and talk about raising young girls. Um, and I wouldn't say I've experienced the absence of that kind of empowerment myself. I think I had it. And that's what gives me this fire in my belly. But I know what it looks like when girls don't have that leadership, that leadership by example, that mentor in their life. And I, I, or better said, I know what it looks like when they do have it. So that's, that's where my fire comes from for something I'm super passionate about. Why this for you? Where does this fire come from? What inspired this mission, which has become your business, which is, which will become your book. That's, that's launching shortly. Where does this come from for you? So you are 100% right. Um, hit the nail on that. I never planned to become a startup founder. I worked for, you know, some of the most iconic fast paced growth tech companies, right. Uh, you know, from HP to, I was the first employee to launch eBay's international business in Canada, right. It was in my home in my guest room. I had a newborn. Like It was thrilling and wonderful, but I wasn't thinking of starting my own company. Uh, But after a couple of decades of working these 60 to 80 hour weeks and being a road warrior, I have three kids as well. I raised two girls and a boy um, who are, you know, all out of the house now. Uh, And I was really burnt out super burnt out. I was actually president of a publicly traded company and I decided I was going to take a multi-year sabbatical and try to make up for those kind of lost mommy years, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so I would take, you know, to take the kids out of school, we'd go somewhere in the world for one to three months at a time and I would homeschool them on the road. No nanny, no babysitter. This was a high wire act. Um, and what I found, which was somewhat, uh, uh, you know, hit me like a ton of bricks was when you are, you know, either working full-time and taking care of kids or on the road and have no one to help you manage your kids, there's no one to, you know, no child care, you know what you can't do? You cannot take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't get to a yoga studio. I didn't have time or a place to sneak away to practice mindfulness. I couldn't even find healthy recipes to cook. Um, And I thought, well, this blows, you know, and I have, I had a first generation iPad and I thought, let me find long form expert video to help me with this. And I wanted a community to not feel so alone and I couldn't find it. Um, it's exactly what you said. I, I just couldn't believe it didn't exist. You know, I searched and my searches returned, you know, videos of cats on skateboards or some amateur in their living room trying to show me how to do a squat or a downward dog. Uh, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to, you know, the expertise and the uplift and the connection. And so, frankly, it was out of my frustration that this didn't exist that I came out of retirement and I started Grokker. Um, So it really was feeling, you know, our vision, the company's vision is to enable physical, spiritual and social well-being. And that hasn't changed since I started the company eight years ago. Well, I'm so glad you came out of retirement. I'm so glad <laughs> that you founded Grokker because I have to tell you, Lorna, I'm I'm a little I'm a little fired up about something, uh, and that is the stat that we're all reading these days about the jobless number in December. Uh, we we took a backslide uh, in our yeah. economic recovery. The numbers were looking good, looking good. We took a backslide in December, and it was disproportionate. Actually. 
a hundred percent I'm reading. I don't know how you come up with a hundred percent job loss attributed to women, uh, but we lost nearly half a million jobs in the United States in December and women account for 100% of December job losses. I've had to read that headline several times over and then like swallow a whole bunch of stuff that wants to, it, I mean, we are undoing decades of progress every single day. We don't talk about what's happening. And that is that the pandemic is disproportionately affecting working women. And I want to talk about Grokker and what you do and the approach that you take to showing care for the workforce, but this is a big one. This is a really yeah. big one. I believe, I believe that women are throwing in the towel because they can't do it because nobody is helping them because they can't physically take care of themselves and emotionally and all of the mentally and you know, all, all of the things that need to be cared for and do all of the other things. Our systems, our structures, our companies, literally are, are, are the systems that make up society are not set up to support what women have been enduring for decades. And that needs to be talked about loudly by more voices yeah. than, than is currently the case because we're undoing decades of progress for gender parity and for uh, women who are concurrently raising, you know, building families and building careers at the same time. It's a huge problem. Um, and so thank you for coming out of retirement and founding Grokker. I want to talk a little bit more about what your solution does. We get a, you know, we get lots of nodding heads vehemently agreeing when we talk, talk about, you know, love is good business, showing care is good for, it's just the human thing. Like who can disagree with any of that, but how, how putting it into practice and applying these, these concepts at scale is the challenge that most people have difficulty overcoming. So what are some of the tenets of of your approach and your solution, and just just to um, just to pick up on what you were talking about before with women being disproportionately um, affected by uh, you know the job losses in the fourth quarter. I actually um, my, one of the articles that I wrote, I think it was in November of 2020 for Forbes, is about the pink collar recession, which is exactly mm. what you're hitting on, and it's really important. Because, again, it's, if you look at your employees as whole people, and we have to do that, and you know this, 50% of the workforce are female, what is their reality when we are at this stage into the pandemic? Well, what it is, is women were already doing four to six hours a day of more work at home, housework, mm -hmm. right, than men. And so you have you know, remote working, you've lost the ability, no daycares were available, schools were closed, you have all of this falling on the shoulders of women who are doing way more of this work to begin with, mm -hmm. and you're drowning. You are drowning. There's no one there to help you. So what's interesting is for employers to think, wow, I wonder what's happening to my workforce now. And, you know, if you look at what people are telling us um, and you know how they are struggling. One of the important things I think an employer should be doing now is considering, well, how is childcare for my team? How are they yes. feeling? How is, oh, maybe what you need is more flexibility as opposed to uh, promotion. Uh, or maybe you need to have um, a guarantee that there'll be no early morning meetings before 8 a.m. because you're trying to get the kids settled and ready for online school. But to really think about the context of their people, because it's so different. And so there's actually a construct that I use um, in the book to help you know, employers think about 
Well, where are we right now in the evolution of our companies? It's called the three-tiered stratification model. Uh, and the three stages are, are you in harvest? Are you in prune? Are you in plow? And, you know, if you're in a state where, you know, plow is basically you need to reimagine the fundamentals for what's next in your business, you're not doing a ton of hiring, well, what do these women who work for you who have, you know, families or elderly parents are taking care of, what do they need? And adjust your focus to that as opposed to thinking everybody's going to need a climbing wall when they get back from COVID. Like, maybe that's really not what they need. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to, I thought your point was so strong. I didn't want to. Um, oh, to thank you. Yes. I, I, you know, I've, I feel like I've been meaning to talk about this. We all get so busy. I, I'm, you know, the fact that I don't even have time to talk about something that is burning me up inside shows that, that clearly <laughs> maybe I'm one of those people that need a little bit of offloading. It's a hugely important statistic to understand that this is, um, this is sort of the next pandemic. I mean, you, you can't see economic recovery without women. Uh, mental wellness, mental health, the mental well-being of the workforce right. is the only thing to be thinking about and to be prioritizing this year. Literally it, making sure people are okay. It should be the only yeah. thing you're talking about in business. Well, uh, and the other thing is, and the other thing, sorry, is that like when you look at frontline workers specifically, Jess, two-thirds of frontline workers are women, okay? Yeah. And they're yeah. earning less than people collecting unemployment benefits in many cases. So you have not just, oh, I'm dealing with all of these duties at home, but I'm a frontline worker. I am being paid an hourly wage, so I'm struggling. I'm probably working more than one job. So if you are a big retailer, part of what I'm thinking if I'm you is, okay, how do I need to make sure I don't churn these women? How do I need to, and, and we need to care for men as well, but specifically there's a real problem with losing women in the workforce. Um, and so, you know, if you think about it, if you have 2 million women who before the end of the third quarter of last year had left the workforce or were contemplating leaving the workforce, um, you, you're going to have a real problem finding people to fill your jobs next year. So I, I think you have to, one, you know, what do you need to do? Uh, and this does jive with what we do, but you have to state your commitment to helping your people get through these trying times. Just let them know, I know this is hard for you, and I see you, and we're going to try to help. And then you need to enable your managers to make coping accommodations. Right? How do you ensure that managers are somewhat empowered without sacrificing quality or the customer experience, but how can they actually support and make these coping accommodations? And then the third thing is provide tools that make these employees' lives easier. And so what does that need to look like for people? And it depends on where they're working and what they're doing. It's largely going to be, frankly, give them something that works on a phone give them something mobile, give them something digital. It can be video, something like Rocker, but it doesn't really matter on their time when they can find a moment to use it and, you know, accessible when they want it, how they want it. Um, and so I think that, you know, that sort of, this is what you need to do. It's not that tough, but you need to make it a priority. Yeah, most of the most of the things that we need to do and should do, it's kind of like working out, right? It's kind of like getting your daily exercise. It's not that hard, but if you don't put a system and structure in place that helps you keep it consistent, that 
that helps you do it at scale, that helps create, you know, unless you actually put something in place that becomes a habit that is easy right. for you to maintain at scale um, without sort of falling apart or falling by the wayside completely. And in a way that you can measure, by the way, because if, if it matters, you should measure it. We've all heard that stuff um, in a way that you can understand how it's working uh, or not working. And so that you can continue to sort of optimize your approach and, and make adjustments as you go without having a system, a tool, a solution in place, you're sort of freewheeling it and it's probably not going to last. You won't be able to tell a value story around it and you definitely won't be able to, to make any adjustments. And so I, I, I already love your solution uh, and everything that, you've, uh, everything that you've described. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I do believe, I think in 2021, we're still recovering, we're still reacting. We're not on the other side of this, but as we continue, to move through what the now of work looks like and what we're all experiencing in real time and how we're you know continuing to put one foot in front of the other we we need to we need to obsess over how people are doing check in on people don't check up yeah. on people ask questions how are you and really want the answer and know how to take action on the answer and and i think just you know that one of the things that um you know that this sort of naturally dovetails into is what you said a minute ago that you can't just like provide something and expect that it's going to work you actually need to think about things like gamification to help alleviate stress, believe it or not. Gamification isn't a dirty word. Gamification is amazing. It's actually a science of how you can um, enhance and how you can invite behavior change by providing nudges, cues, and rewards. And I'm not talking about paying someone $2,000 to go get a blood stick once a year for your biometrics. I'm talking about really using the best principles that I certainly learned growing up you know, in the internet days from to things like well-being. I mean, that is what we should be doing. I can't just expect you to find the time every day. I have to have it in your calendar and have reminders and invite you and make it social so that you and maybe a couple of your other mom friends are going to meet and do, you know, a video yoga class together or you're going to practice mindfulness together or whatever it is that you aren't left to do it on your own and that I'm reminding you, I am rewarding you, I am nudging you and I'm programming it for you as well. I love it. Lorna, this is such an important conversation. I'm so glad everybody is taking a listen to this. I hope that you'll share this episode. If you're doing this work, if you're feeling this pinch, if you're making this business case for your organization right now, this is such a valuable message and, and hopefully helpful guideposts uh, to help you explain the why, I think we all know the why, but also the how, how we can take next steps. Lorna, what are the ways that people can find and follow you for more information? So the, the two easiest ways, one is if you want copies of any, you know, our status stress report or anything like that, you can just shoot me an email to LB, Lorna Bornstein, just LB at grocker.com. And the other thing that you can go to is um, my book, which is coming out uh, next month, which is called, it's personal, The Case for Caring. The website is caseforcaring.com. And there are so many resources, free resources in there to help you understand you know, how to make the case and sell it into your organization um, and tools for you to be able to leverage. 
I love it. Thank you so much, Lorna, for being my guest on the Now of Work. I can't wait to follow your work in this space. Have an amazing 2021. And thanks again for being our guest on this episode. 